everybody's buzz before we start the podcast. Uh, let me just have a minute of your time. Listen, I know I get it. I get it. When you hear the promo at the beginning of the show, you tune out, but I'm telling you soccer 90 has got everything you're looking for. It's MLS cup playoff time. So right now through October 24th, everything MLS is 30% off every team you want, including SC Dallas, including North Texas soccer club, 30% off. That's a fantastic deal. Through October 24th, get your MLS Cup playoff gear there at Soccer90.com. Yeah. Ooh. Jubilant and curious FC Dallas fan, welcome to an episode uh, numbered. I've forgotten what 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 is the number? Oh, it's one hundred eighty-two. Oh, there it is. It's written in crayon. Number one eight two, right in front of me, of third degree of the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter, and here also the bearded Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Excellent. Very, very excellent. And your hero, my hero, a hero enjoying what he's been waiting for for so long. Editor, founder, third degree, the Buzz Garrett, come in, Buzz. Hi, hi Peter. I'm a little confused about what I've been waiting for for so long. I, a I've fantastic, sold-out home playoff win, Buzz. Oh, well, that's pretty fun. Have yeah, we ever a had a sellout home playoff win in the history of this club? Uh, I did not think to look that up. I would assume I don't, not. I yeah. don't think we have. Yeah, I don't think I mean, so I don't, either. When was the last time we even had a home playoff win? Uh, I don't know. Again, it's been <laughs> a long time. I have to look it up. Um, you know, I, we talked about it on the last pod that for a long time, this you know this team has not necessarily done great business with playoff games, great attendance. Uh, I, I was obviously ecstatic to see them, you know, have as close to an outsell, yes, but it wasn't every seat full, but it was dang close. I mean, it was like 90%. Well, no, they reported so, yeah. it as a sellout. Well, and that's it's not fu- the same as actually being full. You know, well, yeah. you know, this is interesting because I was sitting on the on the east side looking across. Now, I didn't get to see what you saw on the west side looking east. Did Did the east side look full to you? No, it looked about 80% full. Oh, okay, interesting. Because the the west side was completely full with the exception of those corporate seats that they seemed to reserve in those center sections on the west side. There were vast pockets of empty seats there, but I'm always told that those are all the, the corporate seats they sell, and then the corporations don't send anybody to the games or the ticket, the ticket holders, which are generally corporations, don't fill them. And that's why there's those big yeah. empty swaths. No, I, I totally believe that they sold out the stadium in terms of the tickets distribution. I'm just saying that, well, I was just saying, pointing out that, you know, as, as, as full as it ever is, because FC Dallas is never like every seat actually full. We, we don't yeah. ever see that S- sell out or not, whatever you want to call it. That's not what, it, you know, it's not full of bodies, Yeah. but who can, we're arguing over something that doesn't matter because in the, the big picture, it's freaking fantastic that this team's got sellouts you know, with with the majority of the people coming to the games on a Monday night at 8.30. That's fantastic. Yeah, look, uh, winning the game on penalty kicks against Minnesota and getting a playoff win is a tremendous deal, and that's fantastic. It was just the overall experience uh, and the crowd and the atmosphere. Yeah, uh, that, phenomenal. 
and the fact that it was a Monday night and all of the other things that just historically have given us uh, excuses as to why we, we don't have that um, is just what made it a fantastic night. And so, yes, Dallas won, Minnesota won, winning 5-4 on penalty kicks in the most ridiculous ass-clenching of ways. <laughs> um, we can talk more about the off-field stuff here in a bit. Let's talk about the game itself. Uh, it was exactly the game that you, Buzz, predicted it would be as problematic and as frustrating as it was for Dallas and us, the fans. Yeah, Dallas, well, listen, everybody does has a problem with this. There's a reason why teams play a mid-to-low block. Dallas, being a young team, particularly has a problem with a mid-to-low block. They have a whole lot of trouble breaking it down. Um, Minnesota's... I, sw- I swear, in May of this year, on this podcast, after four or five games, we all talked about this. Yeah. Why doesn't everybody just play Dallas in a mid-low block? Because they cannot break it down. Yeah, we even suggested that maybe teams would look at that and, and change. But I think you know the reason why people don't is because it's hard to be something you're not. And so there are just not enough teams that want to play this way. Minnesota, like Nashville, is the one I can think of off the top of my head, uh, who dismantled Dallas with the same strategy like a month ago. But Minnesota, they don't necessarily want the ball. And if you go look at the possession stats, you'll see that they didn't have very much of the ball. But that doesn't mean that Dallas was able to create with the ball. <laughs> Dallas passed at a, for them, a relatively low percentage. They did not create a whole lot of scoring opportunities. That The shots was certainly lower than you would like um, for a home game in regulation. I mean, I would say by the time you went through extra time, the shots climbed more than than they would have just to start of the game. But I think I think I looked at um, halftime and they maybe had nine shots or something. You know, it just wasn't where you want it. You know, the inability to get in good scoring positions, the inability to create good scoring opportunities was not there. Um, the XG was a little on the low side. You know, they, they got a couple of late ones. But beyond the inability to break down the other team, the one area that Dallas is, is susceptible um, is to occasionally to quick transition. This is not the same as a counterattack. It's not like Minnesota gets the ball and immediately just crushes it upfield 70 yards and has a guy run. That's not what they do. They do something Dallas actually does fairly well too, which is they try and play forward quickly involving a couple of players. And through Reynoso is the particular danger spot. And again, that was exactly what happened. They got forward and then quickly with, and got Dallas isolated with just the center backs and, um, uh, Quinone, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more. Martinez makes a mistake. Quinones tries to help him, doesn't track Reynoso, and they score. So that is 100% exactly what I was worried about. It's 100% exactly what we talked about in the podcast was going to happen and be a problem. And it was. Thankfully, Quinone rose to the occasion as well, and they got to the shootout and took care of business. But this is why we said on this podcast that it had nothing to do with what, whether Minnesota was hot or cold or whether they were missing players because they were and they were cold. It's the style that was a problem. It wasn't the team that was a problem. It was the style that was a problem. It was the, the way they played that was a problem. That was 100% true. Now, uh, Dan, I sat in the stands. Buzz was sitting in a different part of the stadium in the stands. Uh, you were up in the press box, correct? That is correct. Was it as a dour game of football, at least, especially through the first, I don't know, 60 minutes is up there as it seemed down in the stands? Because it was uh, it was not uh, it was uh, let's just say it, it was a pretty shitty uh, playoff game for the vast majority of it. 
Yeah, uh, first half definitely, uh, as the teams kind of felt each other out. Um, I mean, I spoke to Sebastian Ledger after the game, and he kind of put it down to trying to not take too many risks, uh, knowing that Minnesota can catch you uh, can catch you out pretty well. They had no interest in doing that through the first half. They were happy just to sit back. So uh, the two teams canceled themselves out instead of each other, weirdly. Yeah, I think I saw at some point at, at uh, halftime, I think there had been one shot on goal and an XG of like .05 between the two teams combined. Do yeah. yeah. you remember, um, I think it was about 25 or 30 minutes, um, Velasco's got the ball kind of like 25 yards out, just kind of going back and forth across like from side to side level with the box. And he gets fed up of having no one to pass to. So he just blasts the ball out into... At one of the Toyotas on the north end of the stadium. Yeah, it was a uh, weird buzz. And, and again, I'll be accused of uh, humble bragging this, but I was sitting in the front row. I've gotten to sit in this particular sec this this seat several times. Some friends of mine have had season tickets there for I think since the stadium opened, and I uh, acquired one of their seats and got to sit there literally at the midfield stripe, which always gives me this really interesting uh, point of view on Emma Tuamase, uh, the Emma experience, as I like to call it, um, for, for over the course of the season when generally I'm sitting up high like you do, Buzz, and I guess you're just more of a, a field tactical view. But it's really, ag- I mean, it's interesting to sit down there with all of the people that sit in this area. They're all season ticket holders. They've been sitting there for years, and they all universally got really, really aggravated and frustrated by Dallas's refusal to play through the center, to advance the ball, to play in behind. And every time Emma got the ball, people were screaming at him to pass faster, make a faster decision. And and I'm sure at some point Emma just tunes everybody out. But it was really aggravating, Buzz, to be down at that level and watching that team at field level just play so hesitantly and scared and slowly. And to your point, Dan, what he what Legette said, just not wanting to turn the ball over, yet not having any, I don't know, um, willingness to kind of push and push. And it just turned into a kind of a really goofy game at that point. Yeah, I think I think what Dan said um, from paraphrasing Legette was correct because I think if you'd have been higher up, you would actually seen and felt that frustration with the whole team, not just to Amasi. Um, there was a guy sitting next to me who seemed somewhat knowledgeable about the game. Uh, and he kept saying, it's too slow. They're passing too slow. Let's go. Let's move the ball. And I think that comes back to, and I was in green with him as I listened to this guy mumble that um, it comes back to what Dan s- says from legit, which is that I think there was a, you know, big occasion kind of vibe and they're worried more about not making mistakes. So everybody in that whole team was not passing the ball with the crispness with, that they would normally do in the regular season, not quite the pace on the ball, not the willingness to make more dangerous passes. Um, you know, Minnesota's playing a flat four, so they have two central mids. And that means that on the outside, you know, both Farfan and Tuomasi, I have to worry about two guys coming at them from that space. So they're worried about turning it over and having two guys attacking the other way. So, um, you know, our central, the FC Dallas central mids were banning the middle a little bit more than you would like. And Jesus, maybe partially because Jesus kept coming back and playing like a deep eight next to the six, which was really weird. Um, Just the whole Dallas shape was a little off 
and all the passing rhythms were off and, and the decision-making was hesitant, you know? And I think it's just because of the nature of the opponent and the nature of it being the playoffs. I think there was something a little weird with Jesus in the first half. Um, you mentioned dropping back a lot. The first half, he really didn't do, he didn't do that for quite a while. He sort of stayed up. And with the way that the formation worked out, I mean, and I was perfectly level with it in the press box. You had this great view of Jesus Ferreira surrounded by five Minnesota players constantly, just where he positioned himself centrally between the centre-backs and the uh, Trap and Ariaga, not Ariaga, um, I can't think who started in the midfield. Um, and then, you know, Reynoso would tr- kind of drop back a little bit. So, you, you know, just it, it looked like that, um, that, that image of, was it Iniesta or... Um, or Javi that's like surrounded by, you know, five yeah. players just happened to work out in that exact moment. But for for Dallas, that was long periods of the first half until it finally clicked. Do what you normally do and drop back. Try to get involved in the play. You know, it's interesting. The other perspective I got from sitting down at that level is you get to read body language of players. And it, my sense is, is that Dallas is a team and those players, Emma is, and I don't mean to pick on Emma because I'm sure this isn't exclusive of him. I can also mention this to several other people, but I saw him do this repeatedly is every time the ball would circulate over to him, you could see Jesus or Allen or somebody or Paul shaping a run to get in behind to kind of get into all that empty space that Minnesota was leaving behind them in the mid block. But Emma just didn't appear to have the confidence to hit the ball. So he'd stop, retouch it, and then recirculate it back around to Hedges. And that whole cycle just compete repeatedly continued. And at that point, all the guys in the front line just gave up trying to even make the run because they knew they were never getting it. And it only changed when the substitution came on and Nanu came on for Emma. And literally within the first 10 seconds, Nanu made a sprinting run down the far side into all that space. And somebody played a long ball to him and there was a chance made. And that's what I, that's where I I'm driving with all of this is, is Emma's type of play a, coaching instruction does nico tell emma not to drive and try to get in behind or or cross the ball in behind and that's nanu's job and they just wait to do it till the end of the game or is well, that emma just not emma feeling like he can't do those things well i i i'm not specifically i will say this is a perfect example of why i don't sit down low because if you sit down low you only your main focus becomes the guys right in front of you and i would say to you that I actually think the entire team was like that. There wasn't Ima. It was the whole team. So the, there is a mentality on the road, if you remember with this team, a strategy, a clear strategy that they go to 60 minutes. They kill the game until the 60-minute mark. Right. And then they go for it with, with subs and with changes in tactics. Now, did they choose to do this in the home playoff game? Possible. I, I think some of it is a Again, it's a byproduct of what the defense the opposition plays, and that's what it turns into because they don't want to get countered. Um, if you remember that when, when they lost at home to Minnesota back in May, they lost the same way. They lost on quick transitions. And when they beat Minnesota up in Minnesota, one of the things Coach said was that we, they did much, much better with those transitions. So the entire philosophy from FC Dallas in the first – I don't know, maybe the whole game, certainly the early part of the game, is don't get beat on those transitions. Don't get exposed. That's the thing, that's how they're going to kill you. You're going to turn it over, you're going to make a mistake, and they're going to kill you. That's the only way you're losing this game. Okay, so yeah. the philosophy is going to be that way. Now, 
Ema specifically, I actually thought was doing phenomenal work tracking attackers. He had to switch back and forth between the mid on that side and the wing on, not the oh, wing, yeah. have a wing, or the outside back on that side. And he was making runs tracking both. And there are multiple times where he ran into the center part of the field tracking a guy that where the six was not in the right position. And he had to cover for Kenyon like two or three times tracking guys into that middle section. So I actually would have come out, came out of that game thinking that Ima Tomasi had a phenomenal game defensively. I would and, agree with you. Yeah, but I do agree that he, he, along with everybody else, did not do a good job getting the ball forward and getting those, get those passes in behind and making those final passes. It, there definitely is a hesitation from him, but also from everybody else. That was one of the reasons why um, Velasco was my man of the match was because early on, Velasco was like one of the only guys attempting dribbles at people and attempting an attack. The other way to break down a little block, right? You can pass around it, you can cross it over it, or you can go at guys on the dribble. And, and he had... He and Ariola had ended up having four attempted dribbles each, but early early on, I felt like it was mostly all Velasco that was doing that, and sort of had the had the guts from the moment from the beginning. So, I I, I don't I certainly don't want to single out Ima in any capacity in terms of because the whole thing was like that uh, across I, yeah. the board from the team. Yeah, no, I agree, and and I'm only mentioning Emma because I think uh, Ima or Emma. I'm not. I'm sorry, Ima. Uh, yeah. I keep calling him Emma. It's Ima. Uh, I mentioned him because, again, to your point, he was the guy in front of me, and that was the one that yeah. could repeatedly just refused to make. See, this is where I got. This is where I think the frustration is, Buzz, is that when they play like this, it appears there is no plan to actually create opportunities because whether it be Farfan or Ema, they have a couple of options. They can either a play the ball down the line. And they wouldn't. They weren't really doing that. Or B, yep. they can try to play to somebody in the middle. But every time they looked to do something in the middle, somebody was covered, and they didn't want to play that ball, so they just played it backwards. Yep. And my question is, what is the plan? Because when you're down at that level, it is very unclear what the plan <laughs> or the strategy is. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of ways to break down a mid to low block. Um, one is to send a, a guy down the line and cross in a traditional sense to a forward in the box. Well, you know, that's not happening because Jesus is a false nine. There's no guy in there to head it in. So that's, you can toss that one out the window, right? Mm -hmm. So number two is you shoot from range. Well, they're playing that flat four, right? And they're doing, and they're, even their forwards are sitting back on top of that formation. And Dallas doesn't really have a guy that's great at shooting from range. And because Jesus is false nining, he's moving around in those spaces a lot of times. The other midfielders are trying to take advantage of those gaps, et cetera. So there's nobody really like no one's in a position to, to receive a ball in zone 14 and turn and get a shot off because that's where, as Dan mentioned, Minnesota's collapsing on Jesus every time he tries to do that. So option two is out the window. So option three is dribble at people and beat them either like with a quick combination passing or beat them one-on-one -on -one with a dribble. Those are the three ways you can break down a low block. You know, or you can try and draw them out, but Minnesota's not going to do that. You're not, they're not going to draw out. And so you see Dallas trying to pass the old Lucci ball, right? Pass the ball around endlessly, try and draw the other team out. Okay. Well, that's not happening either because Minnesota's too defensively disciplined they for that. They were so. actually trying, a, you know, a, a, a fourth plan. They were Paxton and, uh, and, and Seba uh, getting wide, and then they're just trying to loft the ball into Legit every time since, you know, Minnesota, it's, it's that nuance of not just a mid to low block but they compact really centrally yep. leaving leaving the wide spaces and then try and force whichever winger is is on the ball side 
sort of in behind them. It just wasn't. It, it seemed like it was the. Uh, you know, it was it was the old joke about uh, trench warfare in World War One. Hey, it didn't work the first ninety nine times. Why will it work now? Well, what I'm always confused by, and is the surprising stat we find out that Jesus is one of the fastest players in the league. Like, isn't he like second fastest in the league in I mean, terms of uh, in terms of yeah. strikers? He's up there in that yeah, sustained okay. sustained speed with the, you know in game so, metric or whatever. So why does Jesus never make a run in behind a line and let and try to because there's there's 30, 40 yards of empty space in after, when that mid block is set up and I never understand why there is no direction for him to utilize his speed to his advantage. Um, you know it, it's it's difficult. It's difficult when a team is playing mid to low block and sits so quickly. You know, they, Minnesota doesn't leave you a lot of space behind. You know, that's the draw them out. If you can get them to stay up higher, but they don't really do that. So, and he's Man, not I tall just, enough. I mean, I you just know. feel like watching the game, I, just watching the game, it looked repeatedly like there was acres of space behind Minnesota's back line for Jesus or somebody to run in behind, and they just wouldn't. Pa- they wouldn't even try to play the ball. They did try that a couple of times, but it was with a low ball through in the space between the center back and the left back for Jesus to run onto. But I think he got caught offside one of the times. The Another time it was a bad pass. Well, what I, what I, what I found most interesting was, is that when they made the shift after whenever uh, Nanu came on, they suddenly started playing very direct and trying to get in behind that way. And that seemed to work and work very well. I mean, almost all of their opportunities came after that uh, substitution and shift in style. Yeah, Nanu is clearly better at that than um, any of their other outside backs. That's the one thing he has that is a positive, you know, compared to like the other guys who are more defensively minded. You know, Ima used to have that in his bag, but he's quit doing that when he's playing right back. Mm. Um, It's one of the things that we'd like to, when we come to the off season, we talk about how you like to see guys progress. That would be it for him is you want to see him get behind. You want to see him cross. You want to see him connect in the box because he's not doing a very good job with it. And none is much better. This comes back to the idea of you go to 60 minutes and then you bring in an attacking flavor off the bench at a place where it's not like Emo was terrible, uh, you know, in the sense of his defensive work, but no, you go to, you make that offensive gear shift and Nanu's that guy. Part of it too with Jesus is that he's by nature, an off striker, a, a false nine. He's not pushing that high line that you would. He's not bodying up with the center backs where he could explode past them to get him behind. He's usually pushed away from them five or six yards. And that's a tough ask to go from like a five or six yard drop to go buy a guy to get into space. That's a lot harder than you, than it sounds, even if you are quick. I think with the, uh, the directness as well, it's worth point. It's worth remembering. Nani came in at the start of extra time. They were going to go for it regardless at that point. It was that late. I had forgotten uh, that he came on at the end. Yeah. It was just interesting how much the game changed. Uh, and when they changed their style and started playing so direct because yeah. it just, to me, looked like an opportunity that they were kind of uh, foregoing the entirety of the game. Uh, the other thing that I really wanted to talk about was, uh, Buzz, when the lineups came out, your comment in Twitter was is that you were, uh, I think, clearly disappointed mm-hmm. that Faku had started the game. Yeah. Uh, talk about that, your surprise, mm-hmm. and then let's talk about, I mean, because I, I, I was, in, I, I, I saw John Arnold's comment after the war, after, you know, the interview with him and his comment is like, well, I played against Reynoso before. Yeah. I know how to play him. And that was something I hadn't even thought about. Yeah, look, that's clearly a thing, right? He knows how to deal with him. 
Reynoso was good, but not didn't win the game. So um, he's punk the, ass. Yeah, the first he is a <laughs> prick, right? Um, the, the to start, let's start first with the lineup question. So uh, down the stretch, I think Edwin Cerrillo has been very good. He is he's the most accurate passer over the course of the entire season on the team. Edwin is. So if you want to not turn the ball over in midfield, he's really good at shielding, moving away from pressure, and relieving pressure with a pass. So Edwin's really good at that, good at circulating the ball in terms of offensive side of the play. He's also quicker and has greater range than uh, Facundo. So on a pure tactical level, I wanted him in there against Reynoso because Reynoso moves side to side a lot. He doesn't like sit there right in the middle. He, he covers a lot of space and moves out wide looking for opportunities. And Edwin, in my mind, is better able to do that movement with him. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've talked about with Minnesota, they are dangerous and very quick in transition. Now, when you put Facundo in there, he is, as I just talked about, he's not as quick as Edwin. And Matt Hedges is no longer a spring chicken. And Jose Martinez has never been quick. So, and I would say that Martinez and Facundo are not athletic. Now, Matt Hedges is athletic, but he's also now 33 or whatever he is. So um, there's a concern there to me that your triangle are somewhat limited in terms of dealing with a rapid transition team. And that's exactly how Minnesota scored was taking advantage yeah. of that rapid transition. Martinez gets turned, gets his ball coming underneath his feet, whatever it is that happens to him, he loses it. <laughs> a Facundo has to adapt and cover and the ball goes to the guy he's supposed to be covering. The only reason he's in there and that dude who is their only player, an MVP caliber player, and he scores. So like that, 100%, their goal was exactly what I was worried about in terms of the lineup. Now, outside from that moment, I thought Facundo was solid. I didn't think he was great, but I thought he was mostly pretty decent at dealing with Reynoso. He made the guy move around a fair bit. So I don't, uh, as the course of the game went on, I did not have too many complaints about Facundo specifically, other than he's not going to make great outlet passes from back there. So to me, that's a big reason why Jesus kept coming back there and standing next to him is because he's like, okay, I'm going to come back there and do it. And then um, on top of that, it led directly to the goal. So I will, on the other hand, I'll give Facundo a ton of credit for scoring the goal. He's scored twice now in that exact same way once earlier in the year. Clearly, this is a thing they work on, the header from the first guy front side header onto the back and Facundo's there. So mm-hmm. clearly that's a thing. Clearly he rose to the occasion. So big picture, net zero from Facundo, he was perfectly fine. The other negative for me is that Edwin is a kid that is still growing in his game. He, is, he does need a little bit of kid gloves on him from time to time. And for you to bench his butt because you got to the playoffs – is not great for his mentality long-term and his development. So there's that. And I also think it's telling that as the, when the playoffs ratcheted up, the coach leaned veteran and leaned older, you know, after being pretty young and pretty mobile most of the year. So there's lots of subtext and all that stuff in the end. I don't think it mattered. I think, I think Facundo did a pretty decent job other than the one letdown, which wasn't on him. He didn't save it, but it wasn't on him. It was more on Martinez. The funny thing is Martinez had a great game other than that one moment where he was terrible in that one moment. But 
it's just like when the lineup comes out, you have thoughts. And my thought was, oh, man, that's a pretty slow triangle. And that was the goal. And so when the goal happened, I was like, okay, look, that's exactly what I was talking about. You know, so, again, but he redeemed himself. So, so speaking of that triangle, one thing, and I don't know if it's just came from kind of being that much higher up and it, it may have played into the decision is they were playing the six, they were trying to play the center backs more aggressive defending the ball. So Matt and uh, Jose were chasing further up the field and Faku was dropping in to replace either one of them. And Edwin, uh, as a covering center back, just isn't there yet. Totally fair. That's a legit comment. If your if your attempt is to slide your outside backs a little higher to try and get around that mid block, if your center backs are opening a little bit and you want a guy to sort of sit in better, that's a hundred percent better uh, Kinyon than it is Cerio. So I can buy a lot of the reasons why. We think that he went with the guy. I just had reservations that turned out to be correct in terms of what it cost them. But then he did a baller move and, and got him back. So, again, I didn't think he was bad. I thought he was actually pretty solid other than the fact that the thing I was worried about was what got cost him a goal. Well, I, I I was really impressed with his game, and I did find it. I thought it was, you know, when I saw the lineup like you, Buzz, I was nervous that they were starting a guy that hadn't st- felt like he had been an age since he had started a game, played a game, much less started a game. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, but at least to best my recollection, it had been a while. Um, and, and along with all the other guys that were out there that hadn't played, you know, Alan Velasco playing, starting his first game in forever and – Etc. So um, it was uh, it was a it was not a great performance from the team, but I guess maybe that's what the plan was all along was just just kind of grind it out and find a goal at some point and just not give one up. Yeah, you know they just Minnesota is a decent uh, defensive team. You know yeah. when they play against Dallas. Now it may be that they have deficiencies that are a problem when they play other teams that play different styles, but against Dallas. They do a really nice job that that mid to low tightening up clog in the middle. Dallas wants to play through the middle, right? That's where their guys mm-hmm. are. Legette, Paxton, Jesus, those, dude, those dudes arrive at the middle. Even their wings, Ariola and, and Velasco, both don't play wide. They play both play false swing. They both come underneath. They play a very narrow shape. And so when Minnesota's double clogging that, it's just a mess. They just can't deal with it. Well, we get to extra time, and the game clearly opens up. Dallas changes their attitude, their direction, the way they're playing, and suddenly now uh, they're putting pressure on Minnesota consistently. Opportunities are happening, uh, and and I guess the obvious question is, why didn't they do that the entire game or earlier in the game? I don't know, but I do think the moment that we need to talk about was Jesus missing what appeared to be the most opportune, like the clearest opportunity to score, and he absolutely Absolutely choked it away. Yeah, I think he had an XG like of a 0.08. If you're into that kind of stat, not my jam, but people like it. And I think all of it is in that moment. I mean, that's like that's the moment where you Man. expect a guy. Oof, yeah, that's a bad miss. I mean, that's, I was, I, I could, I had a, it was like the seas parted and the players pulled apart, and I saw him by himself when that ball came to him, and I don't know. I, like it was just the craziest. I was like, I couldn't figure out how he. It looked harder to do what he did than put it in the net. You know, he's he's probably looking at the keeper and not the ball. You know, it's like, and granted, a guy of his talent shouldn't need to be looking at the ball, but 
you know, there's a moment of panic. It's like, oh, crap, here it is. You know, maybe he's caught off guard. Uh, you know, I, I can give the guy lots of excuses. You know, the Jesus is the kind of guy, well, this is the, the positive for me, is that that thing, that's going to burn him. He's going to be, that's going to twist in his gut in a, in a good way. Not like he's going to be nervous and panicky, but he's going to take that. He's going to chew on it for a week. And <laughs> I guarantee you, if you were to talk to him about it, that he'll be pissed at himself in a good way, you know, like there's some guys that would take that and fall apart. And, but Jesus is not one of those guys. He'll take that and build on it and use that internally to motivate himself. The kid's got a phenomenal mentality in my opinion. Um, that it is, a, <laughs> it's a pretty bad whiff though. I'll give him that. I'll give you that, man. Well, I think, it's a rough, uh, a good thing for him. I mean, I'm not sure just watching the cut back and there's just this real awkward bounce like half a yard before him he tries to side foot it in the corner and just catches the you know the ball skips on the bottom of his foot but um, he's been he's been really open about you know using a sports psychologist to to try and work on that sort of stuff and uh, nico said you know they practice uh, penalties with sports psychologists talking about managing the moment and stuff like that so i mean um you know we've talked about the player support system ever since Nico's come in and, and it's really geared right in those moments to to stop a player from dwelling too much on it. So before we talk about the PKs, I just kind of want to get an assessment from both of you about how you feel overall about how Dallas played. Was it like, is it that was the mission, that was the plan, and it all went, they executed it perfectly? Or was it, man, that was a struggle bus and we were very lucky to have gotten through it? Dan, you want to go first? That was always going to be a horrible big test. There was no way to win because the team that backed in, but it's your bogey team, and they got through. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm with Dan. I, we said this was a tough one ahead of time, and it was. Um, I, I really, be, because I really try and divorce um, big picture thinking, like, like contextual thinking when I watch games like this, I just enjoy the moments of watching guys try and figure things out. And so I enjoyed like watching them trying to figure out how to break that team down, even though they weren't successful. So th this was one of their, you know, a, a getting past the first round, getting that home field, getting the win for a young team. It's back in the playoffs. None of these guys have really been there. I don't think maybe legit has, you know, in the past, they got a relatively young setup. You know, I, I think this was a moment of, uh, learning and progression of like, okay, yeah, we got through that. And I think they'll relax a little bit. You know, I think they'll, they'll, they'll know that they're playing on house money now, you know, that they kind of got lucky to get through that one. So um, it depends on how the first reaction of the next game, like the early moments of the next game go, but I actually think, well, know, hold on. Don't say anything about the next game. Yeah. I'm, say no, that. I'm, yeah. I'm sticking with this game. I, I just right. feel like um, that was about as difficult as a hurdle as you're going to get for this team in the first round and I, they got over it. And so that's going to be good. I think they're going to feel good about it. So okay. a couple of quick things about, uh, in the locker room, the locker room on Monday night was more of a happy, excited environment than after the, uh, 2015 penalty shootout against Seattle. Um, the players were, not so much, you know, they were talking already about, hey, you know, that's done, Austin now. Like, looking forward to it, looking forward to having, uh, you know, the, the local game. Um, it, it, it just, I don't know, everything, it, I was driving, as I was driving home, I was thinking about it more and more, like, 
that that it was kind of night. The atmosphere was just kind of night and day from the 2015 uh, penalty shootout. Um, that I, was I, probably I don't the last, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and I couldn't put my finger on like why it should be like that, but that team is so together and with the with the coaching staff, it's it's you know. They they talk about the new era and a, and a new atmosphere and everything and and it was it was really there it was very present. Just to underline the nature of this game, uh, and I know it's overtime, but Jose Martinez and Matt Hedges had 130 and 136 touches each, and the next closest player below that was Ima at like at 83, and then Velasco at 75. And it goes down from there. So you can see that there was just an extraordinary amount of play looking for going around that back line, looking for ways oh to sort God, of break yeah. it down. It's just, it's almost like old Lucci ball. They had 900 touches total, right? And the passes were um, up 775 total attempts over the, now granted, over time, so more, but. You know, 500, 600 is old school Lucci ball. And that's what that looks like trying to break down that block. So that's uh, that underlines they, the nature of the game. It looked they like were me. At it looks like 500 after 90 minutes, too. Yeah. yeah it looks like it, uh, it's like watching me with a Rubik's Cube. It's like just <laughs> yeah. trying to, like, oh, I can get one side. Oh, wait, now. And then you screw it up and you start over again. And that's what it felt like to me. It was like I was just watching me with a Rubik's Cube, them trying to break yeah. down that mid block. And it was yeah. really fr- and And you just, you could not figure out how they were ever going to score because it just never, it, it yeah. didn't look like that. And, but to be fair, it didn't look like Minnesota had any willingness or ability whatsoever to do, create any opportunities themselves. And that why, that's why it was such a, really, frankly, a really yeah. crummy game for the vast majority of it. Don't undersell losing Paxton at halftime because Paxton will hit those gaps and Brandon Cervania does not. I like Brandon Cervania as a player. He is not Paxton in terms of, of going at gaps and spaces and making passes into the box. Brandon's not the same player. So Yeah, and that, I didn't think Brandon played poorly either. No, 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 I thought, I thought he played okay. He just yeah. played a different game. I mean, they effectively switched into a double pivot with him and, yeah. and Facundo back and then, you know, and I can't remember who they moved in the middle. I think it was probably legit. You know, more as a, like a 10, you mm-hmm. know, rather than his 80 was. So, you know, that's a blow to you, whatever you were doing, because now your guy you've practiced with for months is now not in there. So it's, right. you, know. you mentioned Paxton, and that leads me to want to talk about injuries, but I want to hold off because I do want to talk about the PKs for a second, because sure. I was really, when I saw the after the game uh, comment by, by the coach mentioning that they had hired a uh, psychologist to work with them or a, a trainer specific to working on PKs. And I was fascinated because I noticed this when we were watching it. I'm sure everybody did about how uh, deliberate and kind of purposeful the walk up every player had. They didn't run up. They just took a very patient stroll to the ball. Mm. Everybody did it almost identical. And coach mentioned that they actually practice PKs to include that walk up. Oh. And I, I, did you not read that? I did, yeah. but I, I didn't notice the walk-up part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, every player took their sweet-ass time. Like, they really were thinking about it. They got up there, and they had a very clear plan, and everybody did it almost identical to each other. And I'm assuming that's a byproduct of the training they went through this last week. Yeah, I mean, everyone practices PKs. What's fascinating is that idea of practicing the whole rhythm of the whole thing and walking up. And that's fascinating to me. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the difference, right? You practice every every team, every training session, they finish with some penalties or some, some kind of shooting drill. It's just guys kind of lining up, 
pissing about. It's not really anything structured to do that. And like I said before, you know, they, they talked about managing the moment, which is, you know, that walk-up is making the keeper wait. It's making, the, you know, it, it's not selling anything too obvious to the keeper, you know, keeping keeping your cool in that moment. It's, you know, everything, like you say, very deliberate and, and well thought out. Yeah, and it, it falls in line with this coach's attention to detail. I didn't right. even watch them take the PKs. It seemed like they had a clear scout on the keeper too. And I did not like the fact that Dallas had to go second in the in the penalty shootout. But I do have a question for you. In the history of ever, has a penalty shootout started and ended with a team winning <laughs> with a Panenka? Not that I can remember, but I mean, oh, it's boy, not no. that very often. But no, I, yeah, that's... With an Argentine taking yeah. well no i mean because hara took a panenka and started it with the panenka yeah. and velasco ended it with another panenka yeah. oh i see what you're saying yeah they're both yeah. are yeah no it was i was is yeah. there a part is there a part of you that gets mad at a player trying or executing a panenka and a pedaling kick in a playoff shootout like this well, well if they score saved. it yeah <laughs> 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 what I thought was interesting about the PKs was that most of the Dallas guys didn't blast it. They mostly were concerned with being clinical and precise and getting it other than the Paninkas. You know, they kind of all took the exact same speed and style right into the not side net. I think most of them went left too. Uh, maybe one of them went to the right, but like there seemed to be a scout there based on what, what um, St. Clair was doing, which is interesting. St. Cloud, excuse me, because he's I mean, a he's solid. He, he saved all right. four of his first penalties when he got into the league. The guy's got a great reputation. Yeah. And to uh, they sent him wrong on four out of five. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also spent a few minutes talking about Martin Paz, who I thought was fantastic. Mm. Uh, he did save Will Traps, which was the difference in the shootout. He was so close on a couple of others as well. Uh, I think the th was it the third one Ariaga's he almost saved. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, the, the one it was blasted to the uh, to his to his left, and he almost got his fingertips on it. That was the one. I, oh, uh, yeah, the the one that was there was that one blasted kind of high in the corner, and he got close to. But yeah, there's. Uh, I think it was Ariaga. He put it right in the side net and just out of out of uh, Martin's reach. Well, he had a really nice round, and the and all of it went very well. And so, kudos to Coach Nico and the staff for uh, making sure that they're training both the kicks and everything, the whole process of executing that entire thing went exactly to plan. And uh, frankly, that's what won them the game, right? So, funnily enough, I asked about uh, Martin's performance uh, in the in the game, and more specifically, the shootout to Nico afterwards. And his response was basically. Well, he didn't have to do shit all in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing whatsoever about the, the penalties. Just, you know, he's a special goalkeeper in big moments. And, uh, yeah, he's committed to the club. Yeah. Yeah, you only got to save one, and it was a good one. That's for sure. Yeah, he had two. I was trying to say, they, it says here he had two saves. Were, any, were either one of those bad? Uh, there was one decent one that was a decent, yeah. I guess. Quick. Yeah, they, they were they were kind of from long range, so it's not like he had to make a big diving save, but it was like you know it was some pretty crisp ones. Uh, Robin Lode had one that he really should have scored like 
10 minutes from Yeah, there's a save in there that was actually pretty sweet now that I remember it. I don't remember when it was or who it was off of, but I yeah, off the top of my head. Yeah. He's been great this year. What a you know, we've talked about the Areola pickup and the Legit pickup and Velasco's, you know, big money deal. But really that one of the things I don't think we've spent enough time about uh time talking about is just how solid Pause has been. Uh and and the fact that somehow they found him and brought him in and got him to sign a deal and stay and yeah. uh and it you know uh i mean i think his what was i tweeted the other day that his gaa was like the fourth low tie for the fourth lowest in club history you know it's, yeah. he's had a great season he's a big part of why you know this defense was bottom of the western conference in terms of gold allowed you know you think back to 2020 and jimmy mauer had a really great season with a really low gaa and that team's defense was pretty good and dallas was in the playoffs and then 2021, Jimmy did not have a good season. <laughs> Collectively, the whole defense didn't. But Jimmy in particular didn't. And they let in a fair amount of goals. And they were out of the playoffs and, and had way too many goals against. And at the end of the season, remember, it was all about fix the defense, fix the defense, fix the defense. Well, they did. Lowest to the Western Conference. So he's a big part of that. You've also got a guy who's really good, tied down, and his peak isn't even going to be for another six years. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yep. That, that's that's very very true okay so um before we get into the uh, next game just real quick buzz what is the update because at the end of the game uh you know we had seen paxton go out with an injury we had seen farfan go out with injury we saw jesus limping around grabbing his his knee or his calf or something yeah uh and Ariola obviously went out with some sort of groin injury so any updates on any of those four guys? Yeah, the only one that didn't train was Paxton. Everybody else was back in sort of recovery training, but at least, you know, they're moving and they're evolved. It's not it's not um, apparently just maintenance, you know. This mm-hmm. is the kind of year where everyone's got a little something. The one that concerned me the most actually was Jesus because he was right in front of me when he sat down. He was not grabbing his calf. He was, he was grabbing doing like he had an ACL. Yeah, he was, do- he was holding his knee – and he was putting pressure on the tendon on the front of your knee, like right below your kneecap on the outside. The Patella one that you tendon. Do oh, on the outside. Okay. On the outside, on the front, below your kneecap. Kind of like when you have shin splints or maybe a little tendonitis. He's pressing on that. And then he didn't run much after that. So that's the one that was worrying me. That was not a cramp. That was something else. Nico did say after the game it, it, that they thought he was just a little bit of cramp in there. So, they, they may have thought that, but that's not what he was doing because okay. he was he's literally like I'm, th- I'm sitting in that section above him about 30 feet up and I'm watching him press right there where that tendon is with his thumbs. Yeah. I, I was kind of looking at it like I, I just saw like his, you know, the backs of his hands are under his fingers are under his knee. And I'm thinking, oh, crap, he's doing he's doing the ACL test. And then, yeah, well, uh, I don't know if, if you noticed, but while Nico was talking to the penalty shooters, the only one not there was Jesus. They were you know, trying to get range of motion in his knee and his hip. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean hopefully, he fine in the shootout. Yeah. Hopefully he's just a knock, you know, and just like all, everyone at this late, this late stage season, everyone's got a bunch of little things. This is about when you're a pro taking care of your body, knowing how to get through the week, uh, you know, what kind of treatments you need for your thing. Paxton's the only one that's a concern that didn't train according to reports that came out today. So, so is it, if he didn't say that did need to find out the grade of the hamstring injury. Yeah, man. If you pull a hamstring and they're wondering what a grade is, the odds of him playing this weekend, that just feels and smells really low. Unfortunately, like if they're, if they're, if they're going to have to go MRI it, that's, that's worse than, yeah, we'll shake it off and just, and, and wear a wrap on it over the next weekend. I would think. Yeah. 
But that's just me playing a doctor on a podcast. Right. Okay. Wait, you're a doctor? On the he podcast, just I am. I'm just podcast. playing one oh, on the sorry, podcast. Oh, sorry, Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nurse Dan. Um, okay, so up next, oh my gosh, the headquarters at MLS on um, Tuesday morning were all a Twitter as they got the Western Conference semifinals they dreamt of. They got the El Trafico Derby, and they got the I-35 Derby. They got to come up with a better name for this. They, <laughs> because Texas Derby is Dallas-Houston, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. All right, so we got to come up with a better Dallas-Austin thing. The I-35 battle, the battle of cities that hate each other. I don't know, like, you know, are insecure about each other. I don't know what it is, but we got to come up with something. And, and Buzz, I, I got to tell you, I, I feel better about Dallas playing Austin than I did Minnesota just simply because of all the stuff we just finished talking about, yeah. which is style of play. Austin is a better fit for how Dallas plays, I think. Uh, 100%. By the way, I thought you were really going to talk about the taco, that that was why MLS was all oh, tizzy. The, the taco was... No, we'll talk about that stupid taco <laughs> here in a little bit. Yes. Uh, yeah. The thing is, is that Austin wants to play, and Dallas is better against teams that want to play. If you want to play ball with them, oh, man, we're excited because now we can open the field up we're going to move the ball around. We're going to get at you with gaps and transitions. You know, this is the way, this is a team that Dallas will relish going against and they'll know how to deal with this team. Now, are they going to beat them? I don't know, man. This is two versus three, right? This is a legit top of the table match. This is as good as you get in the playoffs. It's in their home field. You know, Dallas is going to know that they've gotten 6-0 results there before. They're not going to be intimidated at all. I mean, you can tell my voice how excited I am about this game because it's going to be fun. This is going to be a fun game regardless of the outcome. Dan, uh, what do you, you got any general thoughts about this? Oh, first up, uh, on Saturday on the on the kick around, you'd uh, mentioned having a little bit of guilt about uh, pronouncing Derby as Derby. Mm -hmm. You do you, buddy. It is a Derby. It's not a Derby. It's a Derby. Period. <laughs> it's the end. Derby. It's always always been a Derby. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. It is. Yeah. Right. I say derby too. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, but Thank no, you, Dan. I, mean, I appreciate uh, your support. I mean, kind of like like Buzzer said. You know, this is a big kind of. Uh, psychological advantage in a way. Austin has to get their best ever result against an FC Dallas side to advance. Dallas doesn't have to do that. Dallas has done has won there before. Yeah, I kind of have the feeling that all the pressure is on Austin, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, Dallas will be the underdog because they're on the road and they're the lower seed. And Austin has the hype. They have the fans theoretically in their corner. You know, they're, they're the team that thinks that they're uh, the people are going to have an awareness of. They have a famous celebrity sort of owner. You know, this, they have a lot of attention. Dallas has got nothing to lose in this game, you know, and, and has plenty of talent and has had results against Austin. So it's not going to be a game that Dallas is afraid of. Even missing Paxton, it will. I don't think that there will be a problem in midfield. You know, I think mm -hmm. this, this game is going to be really fun. I think it's, this will not be one nothing or one one. This is going to well, be more than that. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about what the differences are between Austin and Minnesota that make this such a uh, a different opportunity for Dallas tactically. Well, it's it's the fact that um, they don't play a mid to low block. That they want to play the same style that Dallas does. Basically, um, they have a solid defensive foundation, but they don't sit in the middle of the field and try and clog the field up. You know, that they want to come press on you a little bit. They want to 
move the ball around. They have some really talented guys like Drewsy. They have some talented attackers like our old friend Maxi. In the beginning of the season, he's really good. In the late season, he's not. Um, Facundes is a pretty talented player. I mean, uh, Ring is one of the un- most underrated sixes in the game. You know, these days. So they have a pretty solid team. Their defense is not exceptional. It's solid, but not exceptional. They're a team that wins usually by outscoring you rather than holding you to nothing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's just in general, not SC Dallas specifically. They have a larger number of goals and allow more goals. They have a high volume of goals in their games. So they're going to want to try and outscore you. So that means they're going to want to come at you and they're going to want to try and play. A great, Again, great. Dallas loves that. They want to, because the, the three ways Dallas tries to score are on free kicks with Velasco shooting or like, Matt Hedges or or um, Jose off of headers. That's really kind of not great at that, but those are uh, those are the three two ways there, one way there, sort of. The other is to build out of the back and play forward with relatively quick passing, but in a relatively direct sort of manner, not long, but relatively they they go. They don't they don't they don't luchi ball it around. They go. And the third is they try and time it carefully and prep. They don't, they're a very low volume pressing team. FC Dallas is, but they capitalize on mistakes. So if you make a mistake, they'll press you quick, steal it from you. Or if they do a recovery in midfield, they'll go bang, bang and be in on goal really fast. So those are their three sort of methods they use, all of which are benefited by an open field and open play. Uh, And so this game for me is going to be, you know, this is the kind of game where if Dallas can, if the Dallas defense can hold together against Jersey, against the talent mm-hmm. that they have, then that's Dallas will have a very, very good chance to win this game because I don't think that they can shut out Dallas. I think Dallas will have the ability to get a couple of goals. So that's what it's going to come. You know, I, what a cliche, right? You get, it's going to come down to you scoring and them not. Yeah. Thanks. Right. But <laughs> in a way, you know, they try to outscore you to win. So that's it. It's like, you've got to keep up and you got to trip that up. And I think Dallas has the components to do that. And I think, Either way, it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game. I don't think this is going to be zeros or ones. It's going yeah, to be well, you know, I just just to put a uh, – I don't mean to be overly uh, uh, optimistic, Pete, here, but I just want to remind everybody, Austin has only won once in their last eight games. That was the 3-0 win over Real Salt Lake in Austin about over a month ago. And in that stretch of time, they scored one goal against Real Salt Lake the other day. They scored one against Colorado at the end of the season. They lost and didn't score against Vancouver. They scored one goal against Nashville. They had the three against Real Salt Lake. They got blanked against Seattle. They got blanked against Nashville. And they scored once against Portland. And all of that happened after they beat LAFC in that really impressive win uh, in Austin what feels like an age ago. And since then, while they've been known for scoring a lot of goals, they've only scored more than one goal uh, once. And that's the win against Real Salt Lake since then, Buzz. Yeah, they, they've scored 65 goals on the season to Dallas's 48. And they've allowed 49 to 37. So they're about half a goal, again, more that they let in. But they're about, you know, 0.6, 0.7-ish more that they score. So that's the difference between these teams. You're looking at a team that has uh, – Austin has two more wins but one more loss, right? So they're a little more volatile. High yeah, but they goals. haven't been – but they have not been scoring yeah. very well for two months now. Right, and that's the Uruti fall from the back end of the season thing. So – you know, you, I know. So listen, Drusy's the guy. If you can shut down Drusy, who's their playmaking 10, he's their, 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 their pure playmaker. They play a double pivot. 
he's the guy. If you can shut him down, you can win this game. That's it. Yeah. I mean, if, even if you look at, uh, you know, they had the puff out your chest moment on social media and, and in the media this week with Felipe Martin saying, look at all the soccer experts that wrote us off. Uh, talking about MLS soccer staff who every single one of them picked Austin to beat RSL. You know, trying to sort of you doubted us and we proved you wrong. And the comeback was simply, and Tom Boger, I think, or Matt Doyle said it, you played 65 minutes a man up, you needed a last-minute penalty, and you won on a shootout. Yeah, they haven't played very well. And, and again, I I certainly think Dallas is an easy underdog going into this game. For sure. Um, they have a more veteran lineup. Uh, the scene's going to be unbelievable. And this is a team that's just dying to finally beat Dallas, their big brother, plus. in the state. Yeah, plus. Pl- plus. Becky G will be there. Sebastian Legit <laughs> told me and, and Dustin Nation she will move to 5-0 and o as Dallas's good luck charm. Well, she is a fantastic luck charm, no doubt about it. I mean, think about the teams that are left, right? Would you want to go to LAFC? How would you realize that vibe? No, Oof. no. Would you want to go to Philly? Hell no, I don't want to go to Philly. Would you want to go play Montreal? Or and the no, Galaxy at it's home, like, Cincinnati and MLS Cup. Let's go. Yeah, look, look Listen, this this Austin of the teams you could have got, which is only Western Conference, of course. You know you weren't going to get LA Galaxy because they finished behind you, but in, the, in their way over the other bracket. But against Austin, this is as good of a road semifinal that you could ask for in terms of the as bad as the Minnesota matchup was in style. This one is as good in style because it's an offensive minded team that allows goals. Dallas can shut down games and win games like this. It's going to be a good matchup. I'm excited. You know, uh, you know sometimes uh, people can accidentally write the manager's team talk. The The whole thing with, um, you know, Dallas has kind of flown under the radar. Thankfully, Ataco was, uh, was the big news. Austin's whole thing this week with, you know, they, they wanted to, they convinced uh, MLS to go against the 5% rule so they only have to give 130 tickets as opposed to the you know making available up to a thousand um, the whole spat with uh, even with their own supporters groups at this point of not allowing Dallas fans to bring instruments and banners in they're really just doing things that are just gonna just gonna rile up the Dallas players if anything and kind of give them a little more more willingness to go out there and, and bloody a few noses. Well, uh, I, I don't know. That, those sort of things, uh, while they're kind of outside interferences, they, they're always very real in, in I guess, the player psychology. Well, the MLS playoffs are a weird thing, right? Like, you know, Dallas has uh, experienced this more times <laughs> than we can all, uh, we all want to share to admit, or we all care to admit, uh, Austin is new at this. Now, obviously, there's a lot of players and staff members involved that have uh, had their uh, their part in different MLS playoff teams over the years. But this is a whole different experience. And so I think to your point, Dan, they'd be smart to uh, not make it easier for Dallas to play harder or have something to fight for that maybe they wouldn't have initially. It just should be a great game all the way around. Um I have no idea where it's going to go, and that's kind of the beauty of the MLS playoffs. I, I would not, I would not be surprised, literally, by any result—a blowout by either team, 
uh, or all the way to a game that ends on, you know, a penalty shootout that goes through the entire roster. You know, I just I have no idea where this is going to go. And meanwhile, Nico's kind of playing it like the uh, the Columbus team that, that he was a part of. Just shut up, play the game when it comes to you, and that's it. Don't make a spect- spectacle yourself. Let everyone doubt you. Let everyone just forget you're there. Yeah. Well, hopefully Paxton's okay. It would be a real bummer to see this game happen without him on the field because he's such a special player, and it certainly doesn't make Dallas better not to have Paxton. No, no. Well... Uh, it's a blow to lose him. The question would be how you go about replacing him. Um, if, if it was just a regular season game, my instinct would would be to stick in seeking and settling because he's the closest to Pax in terms of that burst forward kind of thing. Um, but given the way the coach in the last game sort of went veteran heavy, it won't shock me to see Brandon Cervania start and then use Siki off the bench is that attacking punch, say, 60 minutes, like we mm-hmm. keep talking about with this club on the road. So there's there's two sort of thoughts there about who how you replace him. Obviously, if Paxson's fine, then he's the guy. If he's mostly fine, then he'll be on the bench too, in my mind, as a option, depending on how he's feeling on the day of. You know, you could bring him in. So, But really, that's the only question. I don't think there's anybody else in the lineup that's a question. I mean, there's nobody... Oh, we, sure. Facundo Edwin is a, is a question. I don't know which one of those guys you choose now. So you just have to think to yourself, which one of those two guys is a better matchup for Drusy? I Right now, I couldn't even tell you what, what coach would pick. My instinct is that Edwin is more mobile and can track him better. But we already learned that he likes liked the veteran in the last game and, and Kenyon wasn't terrible. So maybe that's the answer again. Uh, you know, I think I'd go with Edwin, right? Who, you know, uh, dance with those that brung you. He's the one that played whole back half of the season. So um, those are your two question marks, Paxton and uh, Edwin uh, Facundo. All right. So Sunday night, 7 p.m., the game is on Big Boy ESPN, um, and it should be absolutely scenes in that place. As we know, they've got a decent atmosphere happening down in Austin. Uh, Dan, you mentioned some of the stuff that is going on off the field, the weird FO decisions. Is there is I mean, I, I look, I understand that they're the home team. They've earned the right to set the rules. I get all that. And I, and I even understand the whole thing about the tickets. I know it seems like a crummy thing to do for away fans, but if they can sell those to home fans, I get that too. It's the weird decision about not allowing the supporters groups to bring instruments and banners in. Is that just a, them being jerks about this? Or is the, is, are they worried that you know they're going to be used as weapons or something? Um, I think it's just because of that, uh, whatever game it was when the uh, the guys from El Matador kind of drowned out their home fans. But, I mean, the point is, you know, MLS has an advisory in place. Hey, guys, you know, let, let instruments in, let banners in. Uh, Austin bring banners here, Houston bring banners here. The only time they didn't was when they had that part, that um, sanction for setting off flares next to the exits at Toyota Stadium. Um, it, it's, it has a, you know, it could be kind of a bad precedent to set because then teams can say, well, Austin did it. They didn't get punished. So we're going to, you know, do that now. And, you know, that, that kind of takes away from the idea of trying to build a bigger atmosphere. Um, honestly, I, th- I think the more egregious thing um, is, is talking MLS out of the 5% rule. Um, you know, that's been a big thing for what is the 5% rule for those who don't know it? 
So the rule is um, home teams have to make 5% of the stadium available to away teams. The away team, you know, if those tickets go unsold, they go back to uh, they go back to the home team to sell. So, you know, if you if you're going by the rule, that's one thousand and thirty-seven tickets. Austin made one hundred and thirty available to FC Dallas fans. And is that again? Is that because they can sell those to home fans, or is it just purely as a slight to Dallas? So, well, it, it started with RSL. Uh, you know, they said, "Hey, we want to we want to limit RSL to like one hundred and fifty." Um, you know, because they could sell them. And, you know, if RSL, I mean, normally that's why you get late, you know, even when it's like a quote unquote sellout, you get those tickets that suddenly become available late in the day. Um, now, Austin obviously did sell those tickets. When it's a team that actually does have the ability to bring a thousand fans and they would have to sell those for seventy nine, sorry, $79 instead of you know, 150 to home fans, you know, there's there's clearly a, a commercial um, incentive yeah. more than anything. So is Dallas, is the front office bussing anybody down or is there any kind of plan for the group to go down together? Yeah, um, so uh, FC Dallas is putting on a bus uh, to do a turn and burn. I think they leave Twitter Stadium at like one, one o'clock on Sunday and then... Uh, leave immediately after the game. Buzz, can can we quickly tell the story about what we learned from Bruce McGuire and how all those Minnesota fans got there Monday yeah, night? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. So, I, had you ever heard this before? No. So, Bruce McGuire, who was famed, by the way, one of the greatest things about Monday night was getting Buzz Carrick and Bruce McGuire, who wrote, who is the author of the famous Denord blog, MLS blog, that's been around for 100 years. And Buzz and Bruce are literally MLS original bloggers who were the guys passing on information about the league when the mainstream media didn't care about the league back in the mid to late 90s. And so you guys had never met before and standing out there having this conversation, that was really cool. And I was really, really uh, pleased that that happened. But in the course of talking to Bruce, we found out that the way he got down there was on a charter flight. And I, my reaction was, oh, you flew down with the team. He goes, no, the club got us a, got a charter flight screwed together with Sky Country, which is a charter uh, airline that actually just happens to be based in Minnesota, but is also the airline that the league has partnered with for when the league allows clubs to do charter flights to games for their players and staff. You know, that whatever that rule is, however many right. games they're allowed to do. But what Minnesota does is they actually coordinated with Sky and have been for a while to book charter flights to away games for fans. And Bruce told us that they flew to Dallas on Monday afternoon and then turned around and got back on the plane like at 12.30 or 1 in the morning and flew home. He was home by 5 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday morning, and it cost him 100 and what did he say, 38 bucks round trip? I think that's what he said, yeah. 138 for a charter flight. That's unbelievable. Well, yeah, I think there's some sort of relationship with the team beyond just the fact that they're the charter for the, the Minnesota. And that sounds to me like they're effectively running the thing at cost to you know help fans. And they're putting a couple hundred fans on a charter 
however many it is. I don't know exactly. Uh, it was down. cool, man. It's super they, cool. They went, they've gone up. He was saying they went to Portland. I mean, it's super awesome. I mean, I don't know if there's a charter company in Dallas that wants to start working with fans or not, but um, I was jealous for sure. Yeah. And I think he said that's the third or fourth time he's been on a trip like that with the Minnesota charter. So yeah. I had never heard that before. And I, I just thought that was a, a cool story. So, uh, and I thought they had a nice little crowd there. I think they had a full plane. He, he, it was a full seven thirty seven. There was like three or 400 people there, I think, wasn't there? Yeah. They had a nice little section. I could hear them. They were cheering, yeah. clapping and drumming, you know, very good. Um, all right. So other things that we should talk about, about the game, do we have, all right. So uh, I had kind of seen the video on Twitter that night as I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for traffic to die down, which is a whole other conversation we need to have at some point of the kid eating the taco. And then within 24 hours, of course, on the FC Dallas media Twitter account, there's Gina Miller holding up her giant taco with, with a whole story about that thing. And it became like the most viral story out of all this thing. I don't even know where they sell this thing. Somebody says it's $15. I, I know nothing about it beyond, I believe it comes out of the club at the end, like the hall of fame club. I think I'm not hundred percent sure. The Vicero stand by the, uh, on the East side. Ah, all right. Well, I have no idea if it's any good or not. It's just weird that for some reason food continues to be the driving force of all media of this club, but whatever works, I suppose. Hey, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Uh, you, know you just take it. Go. The other thing, I guess the just rest of just kind of wrapping up about the experience on that night, the crowd, the whole thing, uh, Dallas having a sellout for a playoff game. It really was a fantastic night. And I and again, the the thing that I, that my big takeaway from this is that it it just proves that this has never had anything to do with location. This has always been about product and game night experience. And when you've got both of those things, there's enough people within a 20, 30-mile radius of that location. There's plenty of people to come fill that place up and turn it into a magical night, just like what happened on Monday night. Yeah, I honestly think that the, the Monday night crowd is a byproduct of what we've been celebrating all season, that there's a massive sea change that has happened with this organization, not just on the field with this new era talk. It's in every phase of the organization, things have changed and yeah. almost all of them are better. Sometimes it's the same ideas, just executed better. Sometimes it's new spending. Sometimes it's new hires. All of it combined to turn out this crowd on a Monday night at 830 at night on school night. It was phenomenal. And so they deserve all the credit in the world for, oh, and listen, I was thinking about this earlier in the podcast. You remember how when they built Toyota Stadium, there was all this talk that like theoretically they could expand it. And we laughed and laughed and laughed at the idea that Dallas would ever need to expand their stadium. <laughs> like we used to, people used to joke like, oh, they should play at the Commonwealth. They should play it at Globe Life, which is holds like 65,000 people. They're never going to need that. I don't know. All of a sudden, I feel like there's a legitimate chance if things continue the way they have this year that they could sell that place out quite frequently. And that's exciting. It's super exciting as someone's been around here a long time watching them do nothing in terms of audience building and ratings and jersey sales and everything that goes with building audience. 
to finally see it happening is so, so exciting. Well, all of the, you know, stereotypical supporters group drama aside, those groups have done a really good uh, job this year of consistently filling up that section in the corner. Yeah. And I really am very serious when I say if anybody could ever talk the hunts into tearing down that stage and replacing it with a a really good, appropriately sized, safe standing area for whatever that number is, 1,000, 1,500, or whatever it is, 2,000. I don't know what that number is, but if they were to replace it with that, I have no doubt in my mind that thing would be full game in and game out because that's the cool thing to do. And if you have that kind of atmosphere and that kind of thing set up, I think people wanting that will drive from great distances to enjoy that game in and game out. And I don't, Dan, do you agree with that idea? hundred percent. But the problem you have is, I mean, FC Dallas very purposely moved away from, from from the beer garden from kind of using that space and uh after the bike racks they put in they, they definitely don't want to spend the money to get like the real safe standing I, I have heard dan hunt specifically say to some of the supporters that if they continue to grow that section that they are interested in extending that section one way or another to have a larger section but they really he is a hundred percent in on keeping it down there at that tunnel on the south end it, it's not so much Dan Hunt, but there's a very big catch on that. The One of the supporters groups doesn't have a membership list. It doesn't technically have membership. Um, the catch to doing it is that every single ticket needs to be sold and to be somebody who is part of a group and that list be given to FC Dallas. So they've kind of created this impossible situation for it. I'm not aware of that level. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, know that I, Dan, I find that very confusing. But. I know Dan Hunt is specifically uh, ticket salespeople who are completely different aside. I'm just talking about Dan Hunt. Dan Hunt wants to have that section grow and expand. So, you know, what if there's crap in the way that the logistics of the organization, I can't tell you about that. I just have heard Dan say that to people that he wants to expand that section wider and wants it to be down there. Wants it to be bigger. Yes. Wants more safe standing. Yes. Wants it on the South end around the tunnel. Yes. But that's it. Well, I, you know, the irony of all of this is, and we've talked about this on the pod before is that a lot of the changes both on and off the field that we've seen have this immediate success are by and large things that we have talked about for what feels like eons yeah, things that we've wanted have, yeah. this team. Yeah. Not just us. Many <laughs> people have both on and off the field, but really the greatest irony is the biggest driver of those changes. And the fact that they were successful in enacting them so quickly is frankly, Austin FC. Yeah. It's, it's the success of that club first off the field and then on the field that I think is the legitimately 100%. biggest driver of what's going on in Dallas. hundred percent. And it's not just FC Dallas. You can watch what Houston's doing too. If you pay enough attention to that team and their new owner, they are tearing out sections of their stadium. They're changing things. They're, they're bringing in, they're doing massive turnover in their organization top to bottom. So it's, it's everyone in Texas is aware of what Austin has done and knows that, Someone has demonstrated what you can do here. And so people are going, oh, crap, I better keep up. A, spend the money. B, and I know it'll get results. And Dallas is, we're witnessing firsthand. And again, it's not just in the stands too, Peter. You and I have talked about this. We all talked about this. There's many phases of this organization that have altered themselves this year. And almost all of it, like I'm not going to say universally, but you know, 95% of it all has been great additions and changes and successes in my mind. Well, uh, you know, it is. Uh, 
anyway, I don't want to get into it. I just, uh, Austin is its own thing. And, uh, it, Sunday is going to be fantastic. I'm just looking forward to it. I'm, I'm bummed that I can't go to the game and be there in person, but I'm looking forward to watching it, uh, on Sunday night. So there you go. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Dan, you got anything else you want to talk about? Okay, Jesus Ferrari, your MLS Young Player of the Year for 2022, and back to back honor for FC Dallas after Pepe won last year. Um, I don't know if did did you guys uh, happen to take a look at the voting results and uh, well spend any time looking at those voting results? Uh, yeah, I did. The media carried them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, Almeida kind of took the the club and player votes. That was surprising to see when the media so heavily had jesus it's uh, it's weird there's often an anti-dallas thing in the media it was interesting to see them coming so hard for jesus but yeah i, I don't know if it's maybe media paying more attention to what he did with the national team than the than maybe the players and the clubs were yeah maybe uh, i mean i i don't think there was any question that he was the the winner of that award i mean you look at the impact goals and assists on the field and how valuable he is to this team it's a no-brainer i mean i I don't understand why he wasn't even in the conversation for MVP, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it would have been baffling if Almeida, you know, beat the guy. Surely the, the 22 under 22, you go, okay, well, that's pretty clear who the best uh, best young player is right there. So, I don't know. I, that is... I'm, I'm just glad there wasn't a family. Well, I think, yeah. look, I think it, it really plays into the narrative about Dallas and how they grow their own. The fact that they've won this thing back-to-back years is... I, it's great if Jesus won it, but I think the real story there is that Dallas won it back to back years because I think that's the real crown, uh, the crowning achievement mm-hmm. is that they really own that award. Uh, yeah, Jesus might win it again next year too. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> if, if he's still here, yeah, yeah, uh, for, oh, for sure. Maybe uh, Velasco will get it just uh, for the three. Yep. Um, all right, Buzz, and and I, I know that you were uh, sneaking something about a North Texas coaching hire. Uh, on uh, it sounds like you were having a, a back and forth with Matt Denny about this online. Oh, I don't know. If there was a back and forth. I, I'm not sure why what his tweet was trying to say. Um, I have since learned since I, I originally said that I had tweeted out that they had picked their coach, you know, or hired or, or decided who they're going to hire, or whatever it was. I've since learned that it's actually a person inside the organization already. So maybe that's what he was trying to laugh about the idea that uh, they hired him or something. I mean, I don't, I don't know why the guy wants to take shots in my writing since I'm the only one that covers the damn team. But um, <laughs> anyway, North Texas has indeed picked their coach. It is indeed somebody that already works for the organization. So that's all I can tell you. Or that's all I know at this point and all I can really tell you. But Which is potentially, I mean, that's the way I kind of, you know, yeah, it, read his tweet with the like quotes around hired. I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't. I don't. It kind of was weird to me, but um, you know, I, yeah. no one else covers him but us, so I don't know why. Hey, he's not from us. here. He doesn't oh. get the. You know, it's just. I'm yes. sure it was lost in translation, Buzz. I'm sure he didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. They do speak the same language in Nottingham. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I also see here in uh, the famous run sheet written mm. in red crayon, Buzz's story time. Yeah, I have a story to tell. Um, I'm going to be careful with this one again. Uh oh. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you some factual information and people may go do with it what they will. There are two young men who used to play for the Academy named Kevin Kelly and Chris Kelly. 
They came to the academy um, a few years ago. Are they, they brothers? They, yes. Okay. Uh, they had been at Barcelona, I think, and some other club. Anyway, they've been in a couple clubs in Europe, and they came back to – they're from here. They came back here to play for FC Dallas. At least I assume they're from here. They're from the United States for sure. They both at some point had been flirted in and out of the U.S. youth national teams a little bit, but not been common. It was been a while ago. Anyway, um, Kevin would have been a – U19 this season. He played up quite a bit last year as a, from a 17, as a whole bunch of guys did. So don't read too much into that. But he would have been a, a U19 this year. He had committed to Princeton. So he did not show up on the roster for this season. Curiously, he wasn't listed. Uh, and then the picture popped up where he was doing some training with somebody at, I don't remember, PSG or, or something like that. Um, and I have since heard, uh, through the grapevine that he's trying to catch on somewhere in Europe is the plan. So more power to him. Good luck. I hope that he gets an opportunity. Um, the younger brother, Chris, who I valued, evaluated at a higher level, he has trained some with North Texas along with like 20 other Academy kids. He was named to a bench once for North Texas, but didn't get in, um, when the academy season started, he was listed on the U-17 roster because that's where he is age appropriately marked, the U-17 roster. And like everybody else from North Texas that was an academy player, that he was sent back to train slash play slash scrimmage, whatever, with his team. Um, early in the preseason, he was, the, he was a U-17, so with the U-17 He's scrimmaging against the U16 team. So this is an inner squad scrimmage. Now the new U16 team is new. You guys remember, this is a new team where basically they've taken what would have been the U17 team and split it into two teams. So these are even kids that would have been playing together. And in this scrimmage, Chris Kelly subs in, is tackled and has his leg broken. Uh, like high ankle sprain sort of territory, lower leg, leg broken. All of this is in open factual truth. You can find all this information on the internet. I'm not telling you anything you couldn't already have found out on your own if you went and looked it up. This is weird. This is a very odd setup. Where is, is this going? Stay with me. So I then heard later through the grapevine that post broken leg, Chris was going to leave FC Dallas. Okay. Then I heard... And I went and looked it up. The family is suing FC Dallas for $40 million. <gasps> I, I'm only going to say that I looked up the court case. It's on the Dallas court records. You can go find it if you care. They're suing FC Dallas, Major League Soccer, FC Dallas Youth, and Chris Hayden individually. So for what's the base of the lawsuit? Uh, negligence. Well, I'm not going to talk about the case anymore because the Kelly senior father is a lawyer in a very litigious business. And you can find out more if you care to. You may go look it up. You can go read the t emails back and forth between him and the club. You can read their stance on why he was with that team and why they think it's negligent. And you may 
take that story and do what you want. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I do not want to be sued. But I put the facts out there and people can determine what they want on their own. All right. Well, send me the link. I will send you the link. I'll read it for myself. $40 million is a lot of money. So uh, it's an interesting situation. I can't think of anything remotely like this ever happening before uh, with MLS that I can think of. Um, so it's a, it, it's a crazy story to me that um, this sequence of events has come together as it has. And um, it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. I don't have any secret privy of information about anything beyond it other than someone, you know, said, Hey, you know, follow up on that. It really has been filed. So I went and looked and there it is. And, uh, yeah. So that's a story that I wanted to tell. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion about the validity of it. You know, $40 million sounds like a lot of the money to me. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's not insignia money. Close, but you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's up there. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's that's. Oh come on! That was a really really good MLS joke, <laughs> and you just totally whizzed not, right by it. Yeah. It's, well, right. So anyway, okay. um, it's this has been an interesting year with um, FC Dallas, North Texas SC, the academy, in terms of things happening, going going on, and this is a different version of uh, different things. And and um, man, what a year! Uh, well, anyway. it's interesting. I, you know, when you're dealing with kids and kids' futures and all of that stuff, frankly, I'm surprised we don't find out that Dallas or other MLS teams don't get sued more often for all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that there's, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer and non-specific to this case. I would imagine that there's a level of understand, like you can't, when you go to a baseball game, you can't sue a baseball team. If you get hit by a baseball in the stands, you're knowing that you're partaking in something that is dangerous. I would imagine playing for a, you know, competitive team is like that. You don't hear about people in college. I don't think, you know, the future NFL guys suing colleges because they get hurt in a scrimmage. Maybe, maybe I'm just don't know about it. Maybe it happens. So I don't, um, Again, I don't. I don't want to dig into the details of the case or the validity of the case because a, I am 100% not a lawyer and I do not have a dog in this fight. But I thought people would be interested in knowing because I think it's a newsworthy item that a player is suing yeah. the academy that he plays for. Yeah. So, and the details that I've mentioned are 100% available and out there in terms of news. <laughs> we get it. I'm we get it. We get it. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> You've covered your bases. Yeah, your ass is bets. covered. Yeah. You've got a giant blanket over your ass. Yes. Yeah. You're fine. I don't want to get worry. sued either. You're not going to get sued. You I haven't done anything wrong. Don't worry yeah. about it. Well, if you were that worried about it, you wouldn't even have mentioned it on the on the podcast. No, but I think, you know, I, I, I attempt to have some level of journalistic integrity. And when we're I not find in England, out, Buzz. These things, I try and bring them out, you know, without casting judgment or making values statements. So, all right. Yeah. And anyone who wants can go Google it and look it up <laughs> and read about it. <laughs> read about the case because legal cases are public domain. I mean, it's out there, right? It's filing, court filing. So, 
You can go download it. Buzz will send me the link, and then you guys can all DM me, and I'll share the link with you. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, sharing a link isn't going to get anybody in any no, trouble. No, I mean, I'm so. telling you it's out there, so you can go read it. Uh, okay. Well, I was yeah. just going to save people time because you already have it. So just send it to me, yeah. and I'll send it out. I don't know. We'll figure <laughs> something out. Um, all right. Anyway, well, that's my story time. Very good. Well, man, I enjoyed Monday night so much. I'm so glad I got to go. I'm so glad I got to see Buzz. Dan, I'm sorry I didn't get to see you. I'm sorry you were doing all the heavy lifting and actually working. Eh, you know, these things happen. Yeah, I, I got there a little late. I was, uh, you know, I did want to want to catch you before the game. But, uh, you know, such is life. Well, wow, really, kickoff was so far after 8 o'clock. I thought you'd have been there. Uh, well, you know, I <laughs> apparently smarter than FC Dallas advertising the game thirty eight. Yeah, well, here, let me uh, let me share something with you. So I was talking to I was uh, I I ran into one of the front office people, and we were talking about the game and the attendance and everything. And something was said to me that they that I I believe all of the things that we all think about when we're trying to get into and leave the stadium area via all the limited. A- a- exits the ingress and egress uh, apparently there is a, a conversation i'm not saying they're getting anywhere with it but i think they're working on trying to improve all of that with the with the toll road and mm. everything yeah which is really a, a significant problem i mean the fact that there's really only one lane ways to get in and out is uh with the club the more and more successful and the more and more yeah. times they have these sellouts that becomes a more and more obvious problem when there's six thousand of us in that place we all buzz in and out as quickly as we want to but on nights last night i I ended up sitting in that parking lot waiting for traffic to clear out till good lord i didn't get home till well after midnight wow. um so uh, it was it, not like some people who bring their trucks and drive over the median so hey, they can just don't, exit don't. illegally oh you just destroyed my secret now that could be anywhere buzz <laughs> we'll keep it bloody secret <laughs> not everybody Man. has a a four by four jacked up Killjoy, like you do with wreck it. Yeah. You're rolling coal in yeah. your uh, in your giant. Oh, I'm truck. definitely not rolling coal. <laughs> I'm fuel efficient, my dude. Just <laughs> only a uh, consolation. I didn't go until one a.m. Mm. Well, that's because you were actually working. Yeah. God bless you, everybody. It's Buzz again. Thanks for sticking with us through the podcast. Don't forget, third degree. The podcast is brought to you by Soccer Ninety. FC Dallas, Houston's national team, international club gear, jerseys, tees, scarves, everything. And for the MLS Cup playoffs right now through October 24th, everything is 30% off. All the MLS gear is. North Texas Soccer Club gear is 30% off. Soccernoney.com now through October 24th. Get yourself some swag. All right. Well, very good. Congratulations, men. Mission accomplished, at least that mission. Now next up, Austin. I hope everybody has a good, safe time if you're headed down there. Uh, Dan, thank you very much, sir, as always. Good work. Thank you, Peter. Excellent. And Buzz, uh, awesome. It was so fun to hang out with you and see you and Bruce together. That was uh, a real treat. Super cool, old-school MLS 1.0 treat. And thank thank you, uh, FC Dallas Curious fans. We look forward to speaking to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Yeah, yes. More playoffs. Woo! Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Five, 25 long hard years, yeah.
was Carrie. Yeah, the man, man. 25 years, you better be giving this man at least $5 a month. Patreon third degree. Come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much. Hey, come on, it's third degree or bust. Yes, give the man some mother f- money. Hey, third degree, third degree, never podcast.